All right, everyone, we're at places, places for the top of the show. Places, please, places, everyone. Have a phenomenal show this evening. Uh, welcome, welcome to Waiting for Places. Our guest today is Kate Bartels. Kate, hi, tell me everything. Tell me your life story. Where did you grow up? Why did you choose stage management? What led you to this moment, 2021? Great, uh, so I grew up in New Orleans huge Saints fan. I started, I, well, I started falling in love with theater and doing theater when I was really little. My mom and my grandmother used to take me to the Sanger Theater to the Broadway across America. And like, I used to, I fought, I used to, I fell in love with those shows and things I'm on stage. And like, I wanted to be a part of that. So when I was really little, like when you're like four or five, your mom puts you in dance classes, your mom makes you do all like the theater camps kind of things, you know? And so I, I tried that, but performing really wasn't for me. So my freshman year of high my freshman year, eighth grade year, one of those two, my high schools in New Orleans and Catholic high schools in New Orleans started eighth grade. So my first year in high school, I auditioned for the fall musical, but I didn't get cast. And so that next week in the drum club, they were asking for volunteers to help build the sets and work backstage and I was like well I can do that and so then I just fell in love with it I worked a little bit in carpentry and lighting I primarily became an electrician first and then my sophomore year after Hurricane Katrina my friend Kat Rodriguez was going to NOCA at the time she said you should totally apply they're always looking for theater tech because don't don't really exist wait what's NOCA so NOCA is the New Orleans, the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. It is basically the performing arts, visual arts high school in New Orleans. Back when I was in high school, it was a halftime program. So you went to your academic high school and then you went to NOCA in the afternoon or in the evenings. Now it's a fully fledged, fully accredited high school. So they have academic classes in addition to their arts classes. I think most, they've also added culinary arts recently, which is really great. And by recently, I mean the last five years, 10 years. Oh my God, I'm that old. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, so yeah, so my sophomore year in high school, I applied to NOCA and I got in. And then my senior year, going into my senior year, I was doing like a summer program with them. And our costume designer and our lighting des design faculty members were working with a, a summer stock here in New Orleans called Summer Lyric Theater at Tulane University. And they said, hey, do you wanna come shadow or do you wanna come be an intern for the stage management team? They're looking for someone to help out because their assistant stage manager has to like miss some rehearsals and things. I was like, sure. And so after doing a little bit of everything, they brought me into stage management and I absolutely fell in love with it. Like it combined all of my love for all the different disciplines. So I got, so it was just perfect. Um, and that's how I found stage management. And then I went after that, I finished high school and I went to, well, during my senior year, NOCA brought me to ERTA's, which are the unified auditions. And I interviewed for a whole bunch of different colleges and got accepted to a few of them. I got scholarships. 
And then my freshman year of college, I attended the University of Evansville in Evansville, Indiana, pursuing a BFA in stage management. But then my grandfather got really sick and the economic depression hit, well, not recession hit. So a lot of things just kind of crumbled together. And so I ended up transferring back home to LSU. Mm-hmm. Which is Louisiana my, State. Which is Louisiana State University. Go Tigers. And I got my bachelor's in theater design and technology with a focus in stage management. While at LSU, I was also a tour guide, which was a lot of fun. I worked for the Union Theater as a stagehand, which was a lot of fun as well. And then after undergrad, I went to New York where I did an internship with the York Theater Company, which is they basically do a lot of musicals and workshops and help a lot of budding musicals get workshops done and help them focus on bringing real live musical productions to life which was really which was a lot of fun and then during that internship they offered me a full-time job with them and I got to I really got to know all the administrators that worked there and I was an assistant company manager which was a lot of fun but it also I became really close with their stage managers particularly Bernita, uh, who's one of my favorite people in the world. She's she's amazing equity stage manager. I love her. She's so great. Isn't she fantastic? She's Mm -hmm. Bernita Robinson is one of my favorite people of all times. So she got me helping her on various things. I did La Mama's 50th birthday patch with her. I did the drama leagues award gala when they uh, featured Audra McDonald, who is the sweetest person I've ever met in the world. I also met Norm Lewis and Brian Stokes Mitchell at that concert, which was great. Um, I got to meet Andre DeShields during La Mama's 50th birthday bash. And I had to like escort him to the stage. And he told me I could escort him anywhere. Like my heart just melted. It was wonderful. <laughs> I got also got to meet Bill Irwin through La Mama's 50th birthday bash. So like those were always a lot of fun. And like it's where I got my first foray into doing not just theater productions, but also live events, mm-hmm. which was really cool. And I got my equity card through working with Bernita and New York Theater Company as an assistant stage manager, which was amazing. And then I, after a year, year and a half in New York, I came back home to New Orleans and started working professionally as an equity stage manager here. And I also started working as an AGMA stage manager for the New Orleans Opera Association. So for three years in New Orleans, I worked as a stage manager on various gigs. Uh, in addition to working as a technician, working odd jobs here and there, because as a stage manager, you can't, on the NOLA contract, you, it does not pay enough for you to sustain your life. You have to have an outside job, which is the hustle of a stage manager, especially as a freelance stage manager. So uh I had various jobs with event companies as a technician. I worked for Rhino Staging, event producers. I babysat a lot. I worked for my mom here and there. I worked for my dad here and there. And so after three years of that, the last season at the New Orleans Opera Association, we kept losing our production manager. So every time we would lose, our, we, we went through five production managers in one season. We only had four shows, right? It was a little crazy. 
we lost our first production manager. Like we hired them and then lost them before the season even started. I'm like, what is happening here? Uh, so every time we would lose a production manager, the artistic director would ask me to help him do some of the production manager duties. So throughout the season, I learned more about production management and how to do that. And by the end of the season, I went to the artistic director and I was like, look, why, why don't I just do the job? Like, you're obviously overwhelmed. You can't do both. I've been doing it this season with you. Why not? How about we figure something out? And he said, no, because I didn't have the experience or the education. And so then I started really thinking about it. And then I looked into programs and I applied for production management programs all across the country. And I was accepted to CalArts Institute of CalArts, California Institute of the Arts and uh, Boston University. And I decided to go to Boston University and then two years ago, I graduated. I finally finished my thesis and graduated. Yay! And then I stayed in Boston for a couple more years, and I worked professionally as a freelance production manager, stage manager, technician. I was a project manager for Bent, uh, which was a scene shop out in Clinton, Massachusetts which sadly just shut down their doors because of COVID, which is, was very upsetting to hear. I also worked for Art of the Event, which is another events company as their assistant creative director, operations manager for a little bit. And then right before the pandemic happened, I was offered an assistant production manager position with the live events company down here in New Orleans. Which brings me back to New Orleans, which is really great because my sister has two three-year-old twins and my brother has a son who is now two and a half-ish. And so they were growing up without me and I wanted to come home. And so, but I wasn't going to come home without a job. So I started looking and I, how I found this company was kind of kismet. I was coming home for Thanksgiving and I was in the legal seafoods bar at the Logan airport in Boston. I was having a drink with a friend of mine who was also on that same flight going home for Thanksgiving. And we were talking about freelancing in the theater world and how that was driving me crazy and how I was thinking about getting out of it and moving back home and maybe getting into live events. And one of their salespeople and their graphic designers was sitting at the bar right next to me and overheard our conversation and was like, wait, you work on live events? You want to move back home to New Orleans? Let me tell you all about my company. <laughs> and so she gave me her email address. I ended up emailing with her. I sent her my resume. She forwarded on to her uh, COO, which is their chief operating officer. He contacted me several months later. I had a first interview with him. I had a second interview with him. A lot of things happened at their company where they were restructuring involved. And so he and I kept in touch over the, over a year. And then finally, I think exactly one year after my initial contact with their salesperson at the, at the bar at the Logan airport, 
he offered me the position. And then two weeks later, I finished up a show I was production managing on. I packed up my apartment, my life. I got in my car, which I affectionately call Heckleberry. We drove 2,000 miles, stayed with some friends along the way. Started the day after I arrived in New Orleans. And then three months later, the pandemic hit. And we were furloughed and then we came back for uh, on PPP and then PPP ran out. So I was fired for a little while. And then I started working as a project manager for my dad's construction company. I bought a house, worked on the house. Congratulations on the house, like, not being yeah. fired. <laughs> Thanks. We make lemon lemonade out of lemons. We take what we can get. Um, he's put my carpentry skills to good use and like fixed the house, which was great. Um, then my boss at the events company called me like towards the end of the summer and was like, Hey, can I take you to lunch one day? And I was like, sure. Why are you taking me to lunch? She's like, we want to float an idea by you. I'm like, okay. And then he offered to bring me back as a project manager to focus on wedding and weddings and decor using my scenic design skills and focus on some details that were, they felt lacking at the time. And then, yeah, that was in September. So we've been, we've been steadily working here and there as restrictions ebb and flow. And then a couple months ago, a couple months ago, a month ago, uh, I was contacted by Loyola University, which is one of the major colleges here in town. And they were looking for an intimacy, an, ugh, sorry, congestion, an intimacy coordinator uh, for one of their, for their spring production. And I had advised, a, been an intimacy coordinator advisor on their spring production right before COVID shut everything down. Because uh, they were well along into their process. So they may brought me brought me in during the tech process. I'm like, well, this cast doesn't know me. So for me to like get up there and start being an intimacy coordinator will not do you any good. So here are my notes. Here are the things like y'all can work on together. Here, here is my process of like how I approach intimacy coordination. Good luck. And then COVID shut everything down. So they had like a performance and that was it <laughs> and so then they brought me back for to be a full-fledged intimacy coordinator throughout this process uh they're on stopkiss which we're in tech right now this week and we open next week so hey that's you've got so much going on oh my gosh yeah. i have so many i have so many follow-up questions because this is so exciting you just have done so many things well you asked me for my life story and i know and i'm thrilled show. about it <laughs> um, I love your life story. Okay. So, huh. Let's, so you, it seems like <coughs> four-year-old, five-year-old Kate was like musicals. This is the best. And then you worked a little in opera. And then when you were in New York and New York, it seems you were working in musicals, Boston, was it like musicals, new plays? Is there something where you're like, this is where, but then you moved into live events. So is there some place where your heart lives? And the others, my, money. My heart 
will always live in musicals. Always. 100%. Four to five-year-old Kate had it right. Her heart lived in musicals. It wasn't until she was like 15, 16, where she went to New York with her mom and her sister. I don't know why I'm talking about myself in the third person. So I went to New York with my mom and my sister for my mom's birthday one year. And we, we had two, we had tickets to see a musical and my mom wanted to get a ticket to see a play. And me and my sister were livid. We're like, no, we want to go see another musical. My mom's like, no, we're going to see a play. It'll be fine. You'll like it. I promise. And we were like complaining the entire time. And then we went and saw the play and we both loved it. And we're like, okay, you were right. My mom's like, yes, mother knows best. I am the mother. You are the child. I am right. And you are wrong. And so so I did some plays in high school as well as musicals, but big money makers are, well, at least in the South, big money makers are musicals. And so when I went to Boston, we did plays, we did musicals, and we did opera as well. So I've, I've done all of the above. Um, uh, but my heart will always be in musicals, no matter what happens. I actually just watched, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but, uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Have, the Zero Mustel version. I've never seen it, but Zero Mustel. I mean, he's a Broadway classic. He is an icon and it is wonderful. And like, that was one of like the first things be- besides going to see musicals with my mom, watching a funny thing happen on the way to the forum, the producers and live from Lincoln Center, Kiss Me Kate are like the foremost memories that I have that have like solidified my love for theater for and like a funny Rogers thing happened on the way to the forum yes but a funny thing happened but, yeah. on the way to the forum and kiss me kate will always be my two favorite one two of my top five favorite musicals mm-hmm. i know exactly i know exactly how you feel um because my first love was gordon mccray in oklahoma and i didn't understand why not everyone knew who rogers and hammerstein were five-year-old <laughs> katrina yes yeah um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang also. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is also good. Yeah. Um, it is also why I still hate to this day Andrew Lloyd Webber and cats. So four-year-old Kate, you'll love the story. Four-year-old Kate went, so we had tickets center orchestra on the aisle. Or like technically there's two people who were on the aisle that sat right next to us, but they weren't there that evening. And so little Kate was like on the side leading to the aisle and no one was sitting next to her. And these cats, I don't know if you've seen cats, but they come out into the audience and like, will play with the audience. And I was not having any of it. And I freaked the hell out. And I went screaming, crying from the theater. My mother coming after me and my grandmother like I refused to go back inside, refused. And my grandmother was like, well, I don't know why she won't stop crying and why we can't go back inside. And my mom's like, I'm not going to make my four-year-old screaming child go back inside. And like, my mom doesn't like, she doesn't like Disney World. She doesn't like people wearing animal heads either. So she was okay with not going back inside. But even four-year-old me was like, no, not happening that's amazing uh I love how how strong-willed four-year-old Kate was she was precocious that little one yes okay so then musicals are where your heart lies but then you wanted to move into live events 
what drew you away from your first love? Zero Mostel. I know it was, it was a hard choice to make, but, um, it was a combination of, I hate to say this, but it really is true. We just don't, we don't regional stage managers, unless you're willing to travel constantly, which even then is few and far between, because not a lot of regional theaters are being able to afford to put up stage managers anymore. We just do not get paid enough to make a living. Like if you've got student loans, if you've got any sort of debt whatsoever, you want to ever have a house one day, it's just not going to happen. Technicians, anyone that works in the background, we do not get paid enough to make a living wage to support ourselves. And I love my parents, bless their hearts. I cannot live with them forever. Like, Lord knows this past year was trying on us with the election and the pandemic. Whoo, it was tough. So I'm glad I got my house and I got to move away because like, I appreciate them. I love them. I love and appreciate everything they do for me, but cannot live with them anymore as a 31 year old. It's not happening. So like, if you want things like a house and a family and a life, you need to find a way to pay the bills and unfortunately musical theater especially here in New Orleans is just not going to do that um so I got into events because I wanted a more steady paycheck I also didn't love the hustle of freelancing anymore which is life and it's for some people it's not for others and like I always worked I always had one job after another but I just I didn't want to keep worrying about when's that next paycheck going to come? When am I going to be able to put it in the bank? How am I going to be able to pay these bills until then? How's that going to happen? And that was just an anxiety that I didn't want in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to move into live events. And I especially started thinking more and more about live events. The more I started noticing theater audiences dying and the whole conversation about theater and how people don't go to the theater anymore and people don't connect with the theater anymore because it's not relevant, it's not accessible. And we like, don't, it's not what people wanna see or we're lecturing at them. All, all the excuses I've heard from everyone under the sun. Were you hearing these excuses in New Orleans or Boston or New York or everywhere you went? Everywhere I went, everywhere I went, New York's theater scene will always be thriving because of the lore of Broadway and then the lore that brings you from Broadway to when people aren't working shows on Broadway, they're working off Broadway or they're working off off Broadway. Like the theater scene is alive and well in New York, but I was still hearing it from people that didn't work in the theater scene when I was in New York. And so it's, it's, it's hard. And I definitely heard it a lot in Boston. I definitely heard it a lot in New Orleans. It's definitely a prevalent, I heard in Oregon and Indiana, I heard it everywhere. Like it's just, unless you're exposed to it at a young age and unless you have that like access in the community, like that community theater is really like gung-ho about getting the, its community involved. You're gonna see less and less people 
going to the theater or being involved with the theater. It's hard to get people at a later age. It's a, it's very rare. It's doable, but very rare. Cause they're just, especially with times are the way they are. People just, they spend their money on other things and like, yeah, but look, what's the cost of a ticket? Oh, what's the cost of this? Oh, what's when we start making this cuts, it's why technicians can't make a living wage. It's because we keep lowering our prices because we want to make it accessible, but then it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. So it's, so I, so I got, I wanted to find a way that I could use my storytelling skills to help make these environments for people, like get them more excited about it. And so like, that's why I like live events because we could create these environments, create these stories that were more accessible to them. And maybe through that, we could get them, we could get people interested in going to the theater. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was, I like that the way you think about that. <laughs> that. That was my roundabout hope. Yeah. Um, still a work in progress. It's okay. I have faith in you. Can you talk okay. about how you became an, inti- an intimacy coordinator? Because that's a relatively recent field to develop. I'd never heard of them before like three years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So while I was in grad school, this be- with the Me Too movement, this became a major theme. And I worked on a couple of shows in grad school where this was a huge hot button issue. It was more prevalent in like one of my last, my last year, beginning of my last year, maybe the second year, we did Tis Pity She's a Whore, which is this huge, there's, we gouge out eyes, we rape people, there's incest, like it's, it's a nightmare. And we didn't have an intimacy coordinator because like this was just starting, like these articles were just coming out, these instances was just happening. And so we were talking about it more and more in my project management, my production management seminar classes. And so we, we did a little bit of like discussion training kind of, and we, of course, safety was always an issue for us. And we did movement and fight choreography. So like we had all of the basic things, but again, we were just starting to talk about intimacy coordination. They were just starting to like talk about how do we train these fields? And so we, so we, we did training in that sort of way where we did it discussion-based and production management seminars through our movement classes, through our fight choreography classes, through our first aid and safety, through production management and stage management classes, but then also through our production work. And so me and the stage manager on Tispe, she's a whore, we kind of like shared this shared the responsibilities for this intimacy coordinator because we had this issue with our director where we were getting a lot of publicity because this play is like so racy and like getting people to come in and so they wanted to do this photo shoot with this BU article and so then our director was like he was staging these photos which we don't usually allow happen we certainly don't allow happen anymore it's photos can only be taken through the course of rehearsal. Like if it doesn't happen in the rehearsal, it ain't happening. But so we were, we had this photo shoot on stage. And so like the director, we were in tech. So the director was asking the costume designer for like a scantily tank top, like a nude colored tank top, like to make it look like she wasn't wearing any clothes. And so then like, and then she was acting, they were asked, he was asking our two actors, like, 
pose in a way that they don't pose in rehearsal they don't pose throughout the course of the show but like he wanted he wanted to like he wanted to scandalize the play so more people would come see it and like our actress felt very uncomfortable our stage manager felt uncomfortable I felt uncomfortable and so it was a very like traumatic experience especially since half of us didn't even know like me and the stage manager didn't even know this photo shoot was happening until the BU photographer showed up and we're like what are you talking what (laughs) and so then the stage manager and I found ourselves like mitigating what was going on and then having to retroactively explain to an administration what happened and why we didn't stop it and what was happening we're like first of all we don't overrule a professor ever so we got we kind of got screwed there we did our best to mitigate it as best we could but this is what happened and so that's how my training and my interest came in so then I just started reading everything about it and like getting more involved and like making sure that that was part of my safety practices as a stage manager and as a production manager leaving that experience And then it wasn't until a friend of mine contacted me. She's working with Loyola as an adjunct professor in props and stage management. She's like, hey, did your program teach intimacy coordination? I was like, kind of. We discussed it a lot and like we did some training roundabout, but like it was like we were just now starting to talk about it. And so, because this is now three years later when I'm in New Orleans again. And she's like, well, could you come and advise? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I like, I told her what my, like what our process was. I'm like, really you want an intimate supporter at the very beginning. I wouldn't be comfortable like jumping in, in the middle of the process. Like they, these students don't know me. They don't have any baseline of trust with me. And that's what's key in intimacy coordination. She said, okay, we'll just come see rehearsal and advise and we'll come up with a plan. And I was like, okay, great. So we did that. They were doing cabaret, which... There are definitely some moments and some themes that are sensitive. And so we did that and then the pandemic hit and then they hired a new artistic director for the Loyola program for the Loyola program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the Loyola department of theater program. So there's still that. So there's a, there's the head of the program, the academic head of the program. And then there's the artistic director for like, I guess the department, the department of theater. I'm not entirely sure how all that hierarchy works. I'm learning. Even though, even though I went to higher academia, I don't really understand the logistics of higher academia beyond my scope. Um, and so he he and I got to talking. It's like, I really want to bring an intimacy coordinator on for this. And like, especially like in times of COVID, what does that mean? What will these moments mean? How will we make everything work? And so it's been an really interesting process because one we have I don't know if you know it's Diana's son stop kiss I don't know if you've read the play it is about this young these young female they're not a couple so these young females one of them just moved to New York and the other one is like has agreed to take in their her cat she lives in an apartment she moved into an apartment that can't have animals and so then they become really good friends and then the culmination is that they, sh- they become really close and develop feelings for one another. 
and they share this, they finally come together and share a kiss. And this guy, who you don't really find out who it is, makes these rude comments and then beats them. And so then it's, it's kind of written like a Harold Pinter play where all the timeline is jumbled together. So you see scenes of them meeting and, and, and getting closer and closer together. Then you see scenes of the aftermath of the assault where the, one of them is being interviewed by police detectives. Then you see her like meeting the ex-fiance of the girl who moved to New York and talking with him and that awkward situation. And then finally, uh, the girl that survives the assault, one of them is pinned to a coma, but the girl that survives the assault, she learns how to take care of the one who is in the coma and like learns how to dress her. So one of the scenes is the girl opens her eyes and it's like she dresses her and says, choose me, stay here, don't go back home. And then the play ends, the play ends with their kiss, like how that moment happens right after the scene where the one of the girl dresses the other so it's there's a lot of moments in there Mm -hmm. a lot of sensitive subjects and like how do we approach them especially in this day and age where everyone seems to be so enlightened in college i'm like that's great people weren't back then like this 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 play was written in the 80s 90s like this is not how it's always been there are still incidences today where these kinds of prejudice exist so it's it's been an interesting process and a lot of fun yeah especially with covid and like trying to keep our mask on and maintain safety and what is safety how do we still have these intimate moments but still maintaining a safe distance and being safe with each other so Mm -hmm. and all sorts of fun coordination going on yeah that's a unique way to use your skills. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why, going back to Central Region, why did you go to New York? Why did you come back? Why did you go to Boston? Why do you, you kind of said this already and that you come back because your nieces and nephews are growing up without you. But like you keep leaving and then you keep coming back. So tell me why you want to live in New Orleans and why every so often you're willing to leave. Uh, every so often I'm willing to leave because the work just isn't here. Like it exists, but it doesn't exist to pay you a living wage and it exists, but like then, but it's not constant and there's very few companies and not a lot of work. So that's why every so often I get the itch and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to get out. I'm ready to go be on my own and like work, work. And work where people appreciate us and appreciate our work and like want to pay us the right amount. And so, and when I was debating between, so when I was, I got an internship in New York, in New York at the York Theater Company, and I got an internship with Actors Theater of Louisville. And I was debating between the two. And initially I was going to go do the internship in New York and then go back down to Louisville. Well, then New York happened and they offered me a full-time job. So when I was debating between going to do an apprenticeship which paid me 
nothing and I had to figure out how to pay all my bills while doing this apprenticeship or which is really great experience and actress theater Louisville is wonderful don't get me wrong but when it's between they're offering me a full-time job in New York and a chance to make connections to get my career off the ground running which is the theater mecca of the world isn't this where I'm going to come back to anyway after Louisville and they're and I had so many EMC points that I was going to turn equity in the next couple of like the next show or two anyway. And when I asked Louisville about well, what happens when I turn equity on like my second show, they're like, oh, well, you'll still have to keep working as an apprentice. You can't work under an equity contract. And I was like, well, equity is not going to agree to that. And I'm not going to be able to agree to that. And then... New York was willing to give me my equity card and pay me. And so I was like, well, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Like I felt really bad for not going to Louisville after I said that I would, but I also, lo and behold, I love theater, but, and yes, part of our job as artists is to tell the truth. And we have this higher purpose, but a lot of people forget we're an entertainment industry. Our job as artists is to hold your attention for as long as we've asked for it. And if we stumble on truth, we got lucky. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing a wonderful quote from the West Wing, which is my favorite show. Um, but that, that's it in a nutshell. Like, yeah, that is our job. This is an entertainment industry. This is a business. I have to work. I have to pay bills. That is reality. Yes, we also serve this higher artistic purpose to educate and to challenge and to trying to find the word like enrichment of the soul. Absolutely. But if we achieve that, it's because we are super, super lucky. Really, our job is to entertain you for the hour, hour and a half. We get to have your attention. Mm-hmm. yeah but then keep- Nor- so so that's where I'm always willing to leave but then New Orleans is home it's where my family is it's such a vibrant city there's live music there's food there's culture there's the water there's nature but then it's also a city like it has everything and it's just it's an easier way of life. Like there's no stress. Do we have our problems? Absolutely. Crime. Oh yeah. Politics, man, I wish we could get rid of them, but like, it's still, it's a lot less stressful. Like New York was all about the hustle and bustle and it was like impossible to run errands. Like it was hard for me to go to the grocery store in New York. It was hard for me to do my laundry in New York. Like everything was a challenge. New Orleans is just, it is here and it's easy and it's there for you. And like, and everyone is so friendly here and willing to drop everything at a drop of a hat, just, and if you ever need anything, like we're willing to have conversations with complete strangers and we love you the minute we meet you. And Boston was like the best of both worlds. So it had like the big city of New York. And it also had like that friendly neighborhood. We love you the minute we meet you kind of feel. But then there are also, to use their term, mass holes. 
and they're awful human beings as well. So it's like, mm. mm-hmm. and then my sister had kids and then my brother had kids and it's like, oh goodness. And these are cute, adorable monsters, monsters, but cute and adorable. And they were growing up without my influence. And for better or for worse, my job as an aunt is to make sure that they know how to annoy their mom and dad. So I had to come to teach them. Yeah. You had, you had to go home and teach them about the glories of Stephen Sondheim and Zero Mostel. Absolutely. Yeah. You had to save them from Andrew Lloyd Webber. Of course. Oh my goodness. Yes. No, no. <laughs> there will be no Andrew Lloyd Webber in those baby's ears. <laughs> I just wait until they're cast in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat because you know they're going to end up in that child's course. Oh, I know. I know. Okay. I managed to avoid that show for as long as I possibly could until 2016 when I had to stage manage it. My God. Andrew Lloyd Webber just hates stage managers. He hates them. <laughs> Him and Steven Sondheim have like a thing against them. I swear. Nothing's on a beat, but everything's a beat. And like it's their times are the worst. <laughs> Calling off their shows. Like Into the Woods is complicated. Like you find, you will get the rhythm. You will eventually get the rhythm. It will be complicated and it will suck for a really long time, but you will eventually get the rhythm and it will be great. And it will be beautiful. Andrew Lloyd Webber is just like, nah, fuck you. <laughs> it's like, really? All right, cool. I don't think I've ever heard Stephen Sondheim and Andrew Lloyd Webber in the same sentence in quite that way. Right? Because they're like, they're, they're, they, they think of themselves as complete opposites and like, one's better than the other and like their rivalry is known to all and it's like no no if you like break down your music and like take music theory and like look at how you write things go 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 joseph and into the woods and out of the woods is the same and we want to kill you for it (laughs) all that syncopation and overlapping and i call it the row 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 your boats like the ron robbins like Mm -hmm. mm -mm. no 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 pot kettle you're both black sit your asses <laughs> down thank you amazing um and i'm gonna take us to a completely different topic we're getting serious now um <laughs> <laughs> when when we when you're back at work and maybe you've already thought about this since you're working with loyola in the educational setting um and i don't know how much this is going to affect you in live events and weddings but how are you planning to incorporate the we see you white american theater demands so I've thought about this a lot, especially since I was reading your questions and reading them over and over again. I thought about this a lot and it, it does event, it does affect the events industry. It affects our, all of us um, in every industry, but most, but definitely in theater and entertainment and live events. And I was thinking about this, like, I am so fortunate that I've worked in New Orleans, New York, Boston, like such diverse cultural cities, like especially New Orleans which is where like my education, everything grew up. Cause like I grew up with these artists of color and like the majority of our city is primarily African-American. Like there's no getting around that. We are, the whites are not the majority in the city, but then I was really like, and so I was like, of course, like it's always been incorporated. But then I started really thinking about it. Started really thinking about like, okay, well who, think about the artists of color that I've worked with and like think about who my casts are. And like, who actually in my cast is an artist of color 
actually local from New Orleans. And I started thinking about that even more. And I started thinking about what percentage of my cast were artists of color. And then I started thinking about my crews. And then I started thinking about like the theater education, the theater administration. I was like, and in a city that is primarily African-American, you would think our numbers would be reversed, but they're not. They're still on par with the rest of the country. And like, that was really heartbreaking to me to like actually go to go into that analysis like everything that we see you white american theater that all the demands they're completely valid and i was like i was starting to think about it and like really analyze it and i was like like it was just heartbreaking to me like even in a city that is primarily african-american we still have the same exact issue where you would think it wouldn't be the case but it is so then I thought about like how I contribute to the problem and like what I can do better. And so I guess my main takeaway from what I'm going to do to try to do better is to, when I'm a production manager, when I'm in the position where I'm hiring people as a production manager, as a project manager in live events, I'm going to reach out to or like when I see that all the resumes that are coming across my desk are still majorly white I'm going to reach out to the communities that I know and be like hey do you know any we're looking for this position do you know anybody who'd be interested want to apply I would love to get other voices involved um so when I have the power I'm going to use it to the best of my ability I'm going to reach out to those communities like how can we get artists of your voice, artists of your color more involved. What do we need to do? What does that need to look like? And I wanna be a more active listener, not just hear what their, what the complaints are, but actually the re, like the underlying reasonings behind them and like listening to not only hear the complaints, this is the ideal situation, what's the compromise to get us there? What's the stopgap in between? How do we get from zero to 60 in two seconds flat? Like, what it, does that look like? What is our journey going to be? Because it's not going to change overnight. Mm-hmm. So being an active listener, being a better partner in it, whereas what can I do to help? What does help look like? Like, what does... Yeah, and just having more educated, better conversations, I guess, is the is my first step. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Change starts with one small person. Yeah. You know. Um, okay, thank you for answering that so honestly. Um, I appreciate it. What are you a nerd about? Oh god. Ooh, okay. Well, we nerded out about Zero Mustel. And uh, Mandy Patinkin is also my other icon love. I know even with like his, all the rumor and rumbling, still love this too, with passion. Um, so besides theater, I'm also a nerd about, oh my God, okay, this is really funny. Anything to do with Jim Henson and the Muppets. I love Fraggle Rock. I love the Muppet Show. I love Muppet Babies, the OG version, not this new CGI grossness. Sorry, Disney, but you fail in there. Uh, I loved even like the new Muppet movies that came out, all the old Muppet movies, the 
Dark Crystal, the new Dark Crystal show, Farscape, which not a lot of people know about. I watched that during the pandemic because my husband loved it when it first came out. So I was like, all right, I will watch Farscape for you. We are in a global pandemic. Here we go. I have now seen all four seasons. My favorite characters were Rigel and Pilot, the yeah. two puppets, because they're the best. <laughs> Absolutely. Agree with you. Pilot has my heart. Jim Henson and puppets, Muppet related. Like, I will geek out about the Muppets 100%. Um, candy, total nerd about candy. How are you a nerd about candy? So whenever I go to tech and snacks, candy and snacks, I always have food. Um, well, that's nerd just about candy. practical. Well, yes, true. But nerd about candy. This lives by my bed. Oh, okay. So for those listeners at home, what you are looking at is like probably a two gallon, like plastic tub with a handle on it that is filled with Tootsie Rolls and Jawbusters and... Mm-hmm. And Starburst and Lemonheads and, lemon <laughs> and, lemon and Trolley Gummy Worms and Now and Laters. Bubble gum. Don't know how that ended up in there. I think it came from one of those multi-packs. Costco and Sam's are my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, what other candy is in here? Starburst, Skittles. I just bought three. So I had, so this lives by my bed. I also have another one of these at my desk at work. Um, but added to my desk at work, cause I am such an enabler. I have three boxes of individual packed gummy bears because one of my coworkers loves gummy bears. They call me bodega cake. I have snacks. <laughs> I have candy. It's a problem. I get it from my mother. So I'm not even sad about it. And every time she makes fun of me, I will go into her room and find where she has hidden all her candy sources and be like, oh, oh, you want to talk? <laughs> like, okay, let's talk. Where have you hidden the bit of honey from me today? She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, oh, okay, sure. So in this knitting bag is what I'm imagining things. She's like, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, such a nerd about candy, love candy. I'm, I'm one of those people who will go to like Walgreens and CBS the day after Valentine's Day and the day after Easter and buy like all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bucket will come. Well, not this bucket. Bucket. So bucket stays on my bed. Bucket stays on my desk. And then I have another bucket with my stage manager kit that will come to me to tech and rehearsals. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do love me. I'm allergic to caffeine. So I, I live on sugar. Allergic to caffeine yeah wow okay okay i live off of tea and sugar Mm -hmm. and juice Mm -hmm. juice is more sugar it's basically just Mm -hmm. sugar it's just sugar (laughs) but it's healthy sugar (laughs) just keep telling yourself that yeah Uh yeah okay so until i become diabetic it'll be fine so what brings you joy other than giant tubs of candy which clearly bring you a great deal of joy i wish you could see this smile and the Muppets, the Muppets and candy bring great joy. So when the uh, Muppets, do you have Disney Plus? Did you start with season four? So anyone that works for Disney needs to close their ears. So I didn't have Disney Plus. And I was thinking about getting it. And I was definitely going to break down and get it when Hamilton came. So that was going to happen. 
But then, so I just moved in my house and I moved back all of my stuff from Boston over the summer and I hooked up my TV. And apparently while I was gone, one of my loving roommates logged in to, I guess, either their account or one of their family members' accounts. So I currently have Disney Plus. Not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to keep it until it goes away and then I'll buy my own subscription. Sorry, Disney Plus, please don't kick me off yet. Um, so yes, I have not seen anything that they've aired yet, but I will. Okay, because there's Muppets now and then they, they just released the original Muppet show. Yes, well, I have the whole Muppet show on DVD. Let's not. Well, I heard that season four wasn't available on DVD. So that's why that all is... the like hardcore Jim Henson fans started with season four. Oh, that's brilliant. That's right. I don't have season four. I just have three volumes, which has always upset me because Gonzo would be perfect on the season four volume as the cover. Okay, so if you have, again, nerding out about my Jim Henson. So if you have The Muppet Show on DVD, Kermit is season one where it's like Kermit's body is the case. Mm -hmm. Miss Piggy is season two mm -hmm. and Fozzie Bear is season three. How okay. awesome would it be if it was Gonzo as season four? Just saying. Okay, wait, I'm, last question. This is a very controversial question within the stage management community. Mm -hmm. Who is the stage manager of the Muppet Show? Beaker, duh. Oh my gosh, seriously, Beaker? Not Beaker. Scooter. Scooter, yes, thank I you. I was like, Beaker does science. Okay, I also no, agree that it's no, Scooter, no. I but- I misspoke, virus brain being stupid. No, no, it's totally Scooter. Scooter is the stage manager. Kermit is the director, Scooter is the stage manager. Okay, you heard it or here. producer. From a Jim Henson nerd, everybody. So let's just put this argument to rest. Kermit is not the stage manager. Kermit's like the director, the producer, higher up boss man, but Scooter, is the stage manager yes headset yes. and everything i mean come on people headset clipboard saying. stage manager i don't know why my brain said beaker because i'm losing my mind oh because that's one of my nicknames for one of my co-workers because he mumbles all the time so i call him beaker hey yes but what else that brings me joy music brings me joy family brings me joy um a good book brings me joy. So like, I, you can't see it right now and I can't really get up, but I have like a huge massive library of plays. I have two built-ins in my house, a bookshelves, and they're just filled with all these plays and theater books. And then I have another bookshelf that I got for my birthday. Simon Ern got furniture for my birthday. Adult. It's okay. I got, I got a dish rack for Christmas. Dish racks are exciting. I just want to say that. <laughs> dish racks are very exciting. Almost really? as exciting as dishwashers, which Ooh. was more I exciting than I thought it would be. Dishwashers are super exciting and I'm hoping for my next present that's what I get. Do not have a dishwasher at the moment. So dish rack is great. Um, a good book is really good. I'm reading The Midnight Library by Matt Haig and it is wonderful. Haig? Haig? I think it's I wish I pronounce his name. But it's on my list. It's like literally on my bedside table. It is so good. So good. Uh, yeah, I got through half of it in like two days. Nice. And then I put it down because I had work and got sick and 
me very sad and I'm hoping to pick it up again but yeah my good book movies yeah. friends family the weather's been really nice the last couple of days so like going outside especially water water brings me I've in all the cities I've lived in they're always by water because I have to be near water don't know what it is but mm-hmm. yeah here's where I'm going to remind you you went to school for a year in Indiana on the river though Evansville Indiana on the Mississippi River ha 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 how is Oh, is it, is it Evansville, like mm-hmm. at the tip of Indiana where the Mississippi yep. turns? Okay. Yep. It's on All the right. tip, on the border with Kentucky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. All right. Cause I, no, I, I, I track too. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing what brings you joy and what you're a nerd about and for settling the Kermit scooper scooter debate. Oh yeah. It's Honestly, it needs to be put to bed now. Um, thank you so much. Absolutely. This was fun. Yay. Yay. We're at places, everyone. Places for the top of the show, please. Places. This was the 10th episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes every Friday through July 9th. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Kate Bartels. The stage manager calling places was Carolyn Fast. This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank, Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. All right, we've got places and house is closed, so we're ready to get started. Have a great show, everyone.